1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, hear now the word of God. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. As we come to these uh, verses here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, some would say that, that Paul is, is beginning to move <clears throat> in verse 16 to, to the inner life of, of the individual. And most specifically to our, our, our devotional life, our, our time with Christ during the week, each and every day. Yet in these closing verses, we, we find clues that, that Paul is still addressing Really, the, the communal life of the church, he's, he's addressing the corporate worship as we gather together. But before we go there, we must understand that the, these words are very relevant for the individual. They're very relevant for our own personal relationship and our walk with Christ on a daily basis. For if God's flock is to be healthy above everything else, then this relationship between the sheep and the great shepherd, Christ Jesus the Lord, must be right and must be growing. Because we bring our individual relationships on Sunday when we gather together. And so what has been happening in your life this week, in your relationship with Christ, that is what you bring on a Sunday morning. As we gather corporately together to worship Him. Our worship that we do on Sunday mornings stems from this individual worship that we do during the week. And so our individual communion with our shepherd during the week plays such an important role in our time together. And, and, and that's really what, he, what he's doing in, in these passages here. He's, he's talking about in, in verse 12 and, and, and through verse 13 of, of our relationship between leaders and, and, the, and, the, and the flock, between the leaders and the people of the church. And then in verses 14 and 15, we begin to look at what our relationship is like with one another as we gather together. And he's talking about this corporate worship. And then he moves into rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. It is this corporate worship that as we come, we bring our individual relationship with Jesus Christ. And out of that comes the building of the body. As Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, that it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That, that we bring that individually as we come corporately. And so as I said, there's, there's clues here that Paul is still addressing the flock as a whole. And he's not moving to just your individual relationship, but he's keeping this as a whole of what it is when we gather together to worship. And these clues that, that, 
that he is speaking to the whole church include that these imperatives, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, remains in the plural. He's talking to the whole congregation. He's talking to the, to the whole body of believers. And, and the imperatives remain plural beginning in verse 12 all the way through uh, verse 22. And so he's addressing the whole congregation. Also in, in, in verse 20, he's going to go on to say, do not despise prophetic utterances, speaking of, of the time of corporate worship when the prophecy of the Word of God is brought forth. And so it seems clearly to be speaking of, church wor- of the church's worship. And then finally, in the following section of the, of the letter, in verses 23 through 28, you have these two exhortations that also reflect, really, this congregational worship and the gathering of the body. That in verse 26, that he says, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. And then in verse 27, I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. And that the letter was read to all the brethren corporately as the Word of God, and we know the letter to be the Word of God going forth to the people. So to stay with this natural flow of the context of, of this, we're going to understand this from the aspect of corporate worship. But again, we need to understand that, that not only is Paul addressing worship in the church, but the church must not let its problems create an atmosphere of gloom or pessimism. And, and we may bring that. But rather it's to be opti- an optimistic atmosphere. That of joy. That of thanks. That of praise. That of prayer that characterizes our assembly as we come together. That that is, is, the, is the picture. And, and, and do you, when you come, do you experience that do you experience the joy? Do you experience the 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 prayer without ceasing? Do you experience thankfulness as, as we come and gather and, and 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 worship? Worship is is all aspects and and we'll probably do a, a series on worship coming up maybe in the summer of, of what is worship. Because oftentimes when we hear the word worship we think of singing. Worship is much more than singing. Singing is a, is a little part of worship, but worship has much more involved in it as we gather on a Sunday morning. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, and, and we've read this before, but, but he says, verse 18, don't get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And so when we are filled with the, the Spirit within us, the Spirit of God within us, that we begin to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Uh, that we come rejoicing and always giving thanks. And then he says it again in, in, in Colossians in chapter 3. Only this time he says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That the word is so important of what we do on a Sunday morning. That the preaching of the word is an aspect of worship. And, and that, that as we look to, uh, to the word being spoken, the word being taught, the word being preached. That it dwells within us with all wisdom. That we teach and admonish one another. 
And then again with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God, so that whatever you do in word or deed, you do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. But there it should be that delight in coming. That, that this is not, okay, how much time do we have left? But it's a, a time when we come and we want to, to worship and to sing and to pray and to hear from God through His Word. And there's great joy in, in worship as we do. And so as we come to this text, it's coming from that context of, of the body. And Paul begins in verse 16, rejoice always. Rejoice always. It is this picture of joy. It's this picture of, of rejoicing. Paul in, in, his, in this letter in chapter 1 and verse 6, says, you also became imitators of us, And of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation, with joy of the Holy Spirit. That even though it was along with much tribulation and persecution from their own people, possibly even their own families, that they received it with joy in the Holy Spirit. With joy in the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is very much essential to the joy. That the Holy Spirit taking up residence in the life of a believer. And and a pointing us to the truths and pointing us to Christ. And it brings out the joy, even amidst persecution. He told the Thessalonians that, that they, as, as a body, were, were his and Silas and Timothy's joy. In, in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2, verse 19, he says, For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Do you, do, you, do you experience that when you come? Do you find joy in coming and meeting together? That those that are around you are part of the joy of what it is to worship? That's what Paul's saying here. That, that, that there's this joy of the gathered body of believers. Then he again makes reference to the joy that that they have brought in chapter 3 and verse 9. Where he says, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? I mean, that that when I go home from here on, on a Sunday morning, that I can rejoice because I've been with the people of God and known His presence. I mean, the, the joy of what it is to be together. The Apostle Paul, his Christian life for him was, was that of, of rejoicing. If you remember Philippians, when we were going through Philippians, and it's really a, a book on, on rejoicing and what it is to rejoice. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, that what then... Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed in, in this, and in this I will rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. That Paul says, I will rejoice. He's in prison when he's writing this, and, and he's rejoicing even though there were those who were preaching the gospel to get him into more trouble because the gospel was going forth. He was rejoicing. 
He was rejoicing that the truth was going forth, that, that there would be those that would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, in verse 17, he says, But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. I mean, to come and to share your joy with one another. That, that, that's what we do. We come and share the joy of, of what God has done in my life, what He has shown me this week in my, in my relationship with Him, and sharing that joy with others. And them in turn, sharing their joy with me. That's the encouragement that we find. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, he, he just says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say, Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I'm going to say it again, rejoice. In other New Testament passages, you, you have the rejoicing in heaven that takes place when, when one lost sinner comes to Christ. Luke 15, verse 7 and 32. You have Jesus' own words of, of, of rejoicing in John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and, and verse 11. He says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Right? That when his joy is in me and his joy is in me by the Holy Spirit, that my joy may be made full. That apart from him I can do nothing. He's coming from that passage of, of I am the vine and you are the branches. He goes on in... in in chapter 16, in verse 24. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. He wants to give us everything that pertains to life and godliness, as Peter says. In John 17, verse 13, in his high priestly prayer, he prays, but now, verse 13, I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. The joy is made full only by a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's where our rejoicing comes from. The rejoicing of those who are coming to Christ. You, you see it in Acts chapter 8 and verse 39. Turn with me to, to Acts chapter 13. <clears throat> And you see this rejoicing of the Gentiles when they hear that they are a part of the, of, of the promise. That they are a part of, of salvation. Verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of, of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Filled with joy of the salvation and the Holy Spirit who now is taking up residence 
in their life who, who produces joy. Peter speaks of it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. The joy is obviously a, a distinguishing characteristic of the Christian life. It's a part of the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. Galatians 5.22. And so, understanding that, that this gift of, of rejoicing comes because the Holy Spirit is in me. And a part of, of that is this joy that I express. That, that's beyond happiness. It's beyond me trying to conjure it up in myself. You can't. It's that which the Holy Spirit gives and only comes because of relationship with Jesus Christ to have this joy that you belong to Him. Paul's calling on the Thessalonians here to express this joy always in their corporate worship. That whenever you come together, rejoice always. That there's that aspect of worship that we are rejoicing always. And, and, and that comes in, in our time of fellowship. That comes in our time of, of singing. That comes in our time of reading the Word. That comes in our time of prayer. That we're rejoicing always in the aspect of God and His delight and His desire to inhabit the praises of His people. And we come to do that. And that's what He's calling them. But we know that in order for for it to happen, it must be a part of my personal life. If, if I'm not experiencing joy Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I don't have that to bring on Sunday, you see, that's where it incorporates you individually in your own walk in relationship with Jesus Christ so that as you come, you join in with the others to encourage one another by your rejoicing in what God has done in your life. Joy should always be in their lives, no matter the circumstances. It should always be in my life. If I'm a Christian, if I'm following Christ, then joy is a part of who I am. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you the same things is no trouble to me and is a safeguard to you. I, I can write that over and over and over again. I can speak it over and over and over again. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. It's a part of who we are. This means that Christians must rejoice even in the midst of sufferings. And obviously the Thessalonians were under persecution. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 2.14 by their own countrymen persecuting them, probably their own family members, and yet to express joy, to rejoice. James writes in James chapter 1, in verse 2, Consider all joy, my brethren. When you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and that endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God is in the process of, of making you more and more like Christ. And so I rejoice in the things that happen to me because I know, I know everything, all things he works together for good for those who love him, the call according to his purpose, to conform me into the image of Christ to make me like him, and so I can rejoice in those things. Paul, in, in even Romans, in chapter 5, in, in verse 3, says, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulation, 
knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Again, the love of God is being poured out into our hearts no matter what, through even tribulations because the Holy Spirit dwells in me. I can rejoice. I can rejoice at all times. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, Paul said, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I mean, he could see what God was doing in the lives of the Colossians, and he's rejoicing in the suffering that he's experiencing because of his ministry to them, because he sees what God is doing. Do we come expectant and see what God is doing and and find rejoicing? Jesus, Jesus exhorted his followers to do that. Matthew 5, verses 10 and 12, 10 through 12, Luke 6, verse 22, 23, John 16, verse 20, where he writes, or he says, Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, you will grieve but your grief will be turned to joy. I mean, the world's going to rejoice in your downfall, but you can, your grief is going to be changed to joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come, but when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will will take your joy away from you. Do you hear that? No one will take your joy away from you. So if I'm not experiencing joy, it's not because God took it away. It's not because somebody else has taken it away because of what they've done. And so I can think, well, when they did this, they took my joy away. No, nobody can take your joy away. You relinquish that. And so it's how you determine how you're going to face the situation And you, because the Holy Spirit is in you, have the ability to rejoice, even in the midst when somebody would like to take it away. But they can't. They can't rob you of your joy. Only you can relinquish that. Next, Paul says to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Paul uses the <clears throat> the adverb. It says without ceasing. It is, it, literally, it's without ceasing. Pray. He uses that in, in chapter one, verse two, he, where, where he says, uh, "We give thanks to God always." That means without ceasing. And so without ceasing has that idea of always or, or to continually be in prayer. It's very similar to, to the Lord's command in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, where he tells his disciples, at all times, at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Now, now we know that, that, that this is hyperbole for emphasis. That about our day... There's things that, that I am focused on with work or whatever it may be that, that prayer and, and that cannot happen at the same time. 
But it's like this. In Jeremiah 33.3, I understood that J-E-R-333 is God's telephone number. That's how we memorize that verse. God's telephone number is J-E-R-333. Call unto me, he says, and I will answer you. And I'll tell you wonderful and marvelous things which you know nothing about. He says, call unto me. And so when I call unto him, when I call him, it's as if I don't close my phone when I'm done. I don't hit the red button when I'm done. I stay on the line. It's like some, some messages that I get on my answering machine where somebody has accidentally called me and I can hear some conversation or commotion going on. So, so be aware, I, I hear some of those things from your lives. <laughs> Unbeknownst to you. God is always on the line. He, he inclines his ear to hear. That he hears the deepest whispers of your heart. And that we never hang up. And that when we're finding ourselves in a situation or maybe at work and something looks like this is going to be a struggle or this is going to be difficult, we can all of a sudden just throw up a prayer to him. God, would you, would you give me wisdom in this? God, would you guide me in this? God, would you, could, would you minister to that person? They're obviously hurting. We, we can throw those things up in our mind as prayers to him. That, that we are seeing that, that we are in constant communion with him. There's not a place you can go that he is not. And he hears every conversation that you have. That's a scary thing. But it's to let you know that he hears every conversation, that even the whispers of your heart as you pray to him, he hears. He hears. And he delights in hearing. Paul says in Romans 12, 12, to be devoted to prayer. Let me, let me just say, because we, we know and we understand the sovereignty of God, right? Maybe we don't understand it, but we know he's sovereign. And he's over all things. And by his providence, he, he, he establishes our day. And, and the things that happen, I don't see as coincidences, but, but God using everything that happens in our day. Right? And, and so at times we begin to think, why pray then? If, if God has it all, why pray? Because he calls us to. Because he says pray without ceasing. Because somehow he desires us to be in communion with him and how he uses even our prayers. <clears throat> he uses it and we see answers to it and, we, and it encourages our heart that God is there. And there's even times of desert times when, when you wonder, are you there? Like David <clears throat> in Psalm 13 who, who, who's saying, God, are you even there? Should I just seek counsel from my own heart? Is he moves to, and then finally he, he just moves to God. Would you, would you hear my prayer? Would you enlighten my eyes? Help me to see, as you see. Help me to see what's going on when I don't understand it. Right? God, God loves to answer those prayers. But we also know in Romans chapter eight, verse twenty-six, that in the same way the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. 
For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I'm just going to tell you, this is not a prayer language. He's talking about the Holy Spirit praying on behalf of you and I. And, what, and I, I can tell you there's many times I don't know how to pray for a certain situation. Right? Have you ever been in that? Where you don't know how to pray for that situation. And all you can do is just, God, you know. And here it is. The Spirit is interceding. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so we have the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, who's interceding on our behalf, who knows everything that is going on in our life, everything that's going on in your mind, everything that's going on in your heart, everything that's going on around you. He knows it all. And he knows the will of God. And he's interceding for you. But Jesus also, verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So the Holy Spirit is interceding before the Father for you and I. Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, is interceding for us before him. Never ceasing. In fact, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, we read that Jesus is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He lives. He was raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father. He lives to intercede for you and I. And how encouraging is that, that when I go to prayer, I know that the Spirit of God who dwells in me is praying on my behalf, and Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, is interceding on my behalf. I want to go to prayer, because I know I have the Son of God and the Spirit of God interceding for whatever situation. I find myself in. And I'm going to see what he does. It may not be what I think is right or what I, what I desire, but it's going to be that which is good, perfect, and pleasing. And it's going to accomplish what he intends. It helps us to be in communion with him. Paul gives an example throughout his letters in Romans chapter 1, verse 9, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 4, verses 9 through 11, Colossians 1, verse 3, verse 9, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, chapter 3, verse 10, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 through 12, 2 Peter 1, 3, all speaking of, of prayer and Paul's intercession for us. The word prayer here really encompasses the whole aspect of confession, of petition, of intercession, of, of praise, of thanksgiving. Uh, an acronym that we use that you've probably heard is ACTS, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and, and supplication. The, the, it encompasses all of that. And that when we come to prayer, that we come with confidence knowing that God knows exactly what we need even before we ask. And Jesus, even in Matthew chapter 6, I love this, and he says in verse 8, so do not be like them, like the Gentiles, who, who suppose that they can manipulate their gods. You see, Thessalonians knew prayer. 
They knew what prayer was, but prayer for them was, was off skew. The prayer for them was, was to manipulate their deity that they supposedly worship that isn't really a god, <coughs> to manipulate the deity and to make bargains with the deity. That's not what we do. And so that's what Jesus is saying. Don't, don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need even before you ask. So pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. <coughs> For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And ever. We come to a loving father. Luke 11 tells us, verses 11 through 13, who's eager to give good gifts. <clears throat> and so he's telling the Thessalonians, you, you're not praying to a deity that you're trying to manipulate. <clears throat> he said, you're praying for a deity who's your father, who loves you, who wants to bestow upon you. Whatever's needed. <clears throat> Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. You see, because being ungrateful is is the characteristic of the um, of the unbeliever. Right? That's that's Romans chapter one, verse twenty one. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. That, that's that's a characteristic of an unbeliever, is to be ungrateful. But while th- thanksgiving to God is, is that which is natural, <clears throat> that which is natural for us, as, as he says even in 2 Thessalonians 1.3, we ought always to give thanks. I mean, it's just a natural thing for us that we just give thanks to Him for what He has done. No matter the circumstances, no matter whether I'm in a time of of great blessings, am I thanking God for the blessings, or the times of struggles, or the times of suffering, or the times of grief, or the times after sin, am I thanking God that He has forgiven me? I'm not thanking Him for the sins, but I'm thanking Him for His forgiveness and how He will even use that in molding my heart. There was a time when, when I went to visit my friend who was dying of cancer, <clears throat> friend from college. He had a young boy, not even a year old yet, and his wife. And I went to see them, and, and, and she said he hasn't been responding now for a few days. And before I went to see him, I, I, I visited this elderly lady in the church. She just brought up a verse, you know, we're to, we're to give thanks in all things. And she starts talking about it, and it just began to resonate in my mind. Give thanks in all things. Give thanks in all things. And so when I went, I thought, then there has to be something to give thanks to God for. And so right away, I'm thinking, God, I thank you that he, he knows you, and that if he dies, he's with you. But when I got there, he hadn't been responding. She brings me into his room, and she said, Dave, Bob's here. And all of a sudden, Dave opened his eyes, says, hi, Bob. And we had a conversation for about 45 minutes. And when I went to bed that night, I began just 
sleeping or falling asleep, thanking God for his grace, thanking him for the things that I saw, thanking him for the life of my friend, even in the midst of grief. All three of these exhortations should be part of our corporate worship. And when we come, we're, we're rejoicing, we're praying, we're thanking God. <clears throat> this is who we are. This is who we are in, in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 2. And he says this, Therefore, verse 6, You have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. That there's just this overflowing of thankfulness because He is growing me up into Christ-likeness. Being thankful. Philippians 4, Be anxious for nothing but in everything. With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That we come with thanksgiving knowing that his peace is going to cover me in that time. There's an older gentleman, almost 90 years old, fell and broke his leg, broke his arm. And so he's been <clears throat> in the nursing home for six weeks, goes to see his doctor to see if he can be released for PT. The doctor says, everything's looking good. The leg still needs to heal more, but you can put weight on it. And so he asks him, can I, can I get a bath now? And, and so the doctor says, yeah, that would be fine. You, you can have a bath. You can take the brace off, get a bath. So he goes back to his room, and they come and one person comes to take him to, to give him his bath. They don't know that, that he hasn't been on his feet for, for nine weeks. So they come and leave him by the sink and say, I'll be right back. I need to get a chair. And he falls. Scrapes up skin all over the blood. And then his left leg thought for sure was broken again. And he went and got x-rays and there was no broken bones. And I'd called him that night thinking to hear a good report. And I hear that. And this is what happened. But he said, I am rejoicing that there's no broken bones. Because if it would have broke my leg again, there would be no hope. I, I, I would have gave up. But he said, there's a huge hematoma that they think is going to take weeks to, to go down. And so I said, well, we'll pray for you tonight. And so we prayed for him that night. The next morning, I get a call. He has a busy day, but he calls me first thing in the morning. And he said, keep praying. This is a guy who when I went in to see him, they were going to put him on hospice to begin with. And he says, don't pray for me. Don't, don't pray that God would extend my life. So now I call him. He says, keep praying. Whenever you keep praying. Because he goes, the hematoma, he said, it is dissolved where there's just a little bit. It's almost just a bruise. And so he was just rejoicing and, and, and praising God. And so I went in to see him that afternoon. And I walk in, and he just said, praise God. He said, whatever you guys are doing, keep doing it. Keep praying, because God is answering prayer. And he's just rejoicing. And he pulls out his phone, and, he, and he's looking for a picture. And he pulls up this picture, and there's a picture of him. And he goes, this was the day. And there he is, standing with his walker, with his uh, 
PT guy behind him, standing, which he thought would be at least three weeks before he'd ever be able to do that. He says, look at this. And he's just rejoicing. And he pulls up his pant leg. He says, look at this. And the, and the hematoma's gone. It's just a bruise. And he said, God is answering prayers and, and, and just rejoicing. Let me just tell you this. If he would have went to his appointment that day and everything would have worked out and then he would have went and got his bath and nothing happened, and, and then the next day he would have said, you know, we're moving forward. And he would have been excited. But because of Tuesday there is greater rejoicing. There's greater glory that was just being given. There's greater seeing God answering prayer. We don't know. But God does. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And, and I, I want to, uh, you need to understand this. It refers back to all three exhortations. That's God's will. It's not just and everything give thanks, but it's rejoicing always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. And we know that God's will is, is so that, you know, when, when we do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, uh, acceptable, and perfect, that the will of God is, is, is the moral requirements that he calls his people to walk in. John chapter 14, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He goes on later, those who, who read my word and keep my word, those are the ones who love me, that it's really out of that relationship and out of the Holy Spirit living in me and it's out of my love for him that I walk in his will. And, and that's a part of his will, is, is, is keeping the law. And, and so here he says a part of the will is rejoice always, with, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. And he says, I want, to, I want to look a little bit closer. God's will in Christ Jesus. Because this is God's will for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, that, that makes sense. For those who are in Christ Jesus, this is his will for us. But when he says God's will in Christ Jesus, I just want to look at a few verses. Please bear with me. Romans chapter 3, verse 24. Romans 3, verse 24. He says, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Here is this gift from God. It is redemption and it's in Christ Jesus. Redemption in Christ. Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus. So that the gift from God is in Christ Jesus. This gift of eternal life is in Christ Jesus. That those who have trusted Christ have redemption. Those who have trusted Christ and are in Christ, they have eternal life. In 1 Corinthians in in chapter 1 and, and verse 4. He says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. So here's the grace of God that's given us in Christ Jesus. And in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 6. Here he's talking to the Gentiles and they're seeing that they are part of of the promise and, and, and Chapter 3 and verse 6, he says, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise 
in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That the promise is in Christ Jesus. Redemption is in Christ Jesus. Gift of God, eternal life is in Christ Jesus. Grace is in Christ Jesus. God's will for you is in Christ Jesus. It's understanding that, that God's not showing and demonstrating his will by Christ Jesus. That's not what he's talking about, but he does. He's not talking about that it's revealed to us by Christ Jesus or because we're in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is, is that the will of God is his gracious gift to you. That when we begin to see his will as a gift, not as a mandate, not, of a, not as a, you must do this, but we see it as a gift. It is a gift that he's given us his will. That he's given us joy, prayer, thanksgiving. It's the blessing of his will that he's given to those who follow him. And he's given that to us. Do you, do you see what a high calling it becomes? This is what we are created for. This is why the Holy Spirit dwells within us. This is why Jesus is interceding on behalf of us in heaven. That we would walk in the will of God and become conformed to the image of Christ. It's His will for us. What a blessing. What a high calling. Joy, prayer, thanksgiving for the Christian. Because it's all a part of God's plan. In Christ Jesus for those who believe.